Hey, I'm Lika Sumba, and this is our journey across Africa, navigating the intricate landscapes of business, culture, and global influence from the African perspective. Africa Whisperer, telling authentic African stories in a global way. On this episode of the Africa Whisperer. Two of our videos have, have actually crossed the one mil um, views mark. So you mentioned oh, 100K, yeah, but we actually have two videos. One video is on like 1.5 mil and another video um, is on one mil. So yeah, totally we've reached about 8 million views on YouTube now. And we only launched last year. But so all of this is really a sign of the hunger, like you said, for African content, but also good African content that can stand on par with, with the cocomelons of the world and literally be on the same level, if not higher. I don't know about you, but for me personally, growing up, I don't remember seeing any edutainment shows that had black characters, let alone African ones with African names, African themes, and learning references based on the African experience. So when I saw what Omoberi was doing, I felt it was so important to have the conversation with the team behind Omoberi, if for no other reason for my inner child. However, this conversation with Agnes Shoyade Johnson, the co-founder and general manager of Limitless Animation Studio, turned out to be so much more than what I had hoped or anticipated. From Agnes's personal journey of how she packed up from the United Kingdom and headed back to Nigeria, keeping in mind that she had a very successful career in the United Kingdom at the time, to the success of Omoberry, which has surpassed millions of views on YouTube, to Agnes's faith in God and the sense that she moves when God says even if it sounds crazy all around i hope this conversation inspires you to step out the in faith African while you whisperer. learn about the amazing world of animation from an african perspective agnes soya day johnson i'm so excited to speak to you the co-founder and gm of limitless studio agnes welcome to the africa whisperer this is like so fantastic i can't believe we're actually eventually doing this conversation I know, right? Me, I am so excited myself. Um, I've been, you know, keeping an eye on what you've been doing and what, um, you know, what this is all about. So I'm really, really excited that you guys reached out and that you wanted to hear more about me and Limitless. Yeah, I feel really, really honored. So thank you for the time. Definitely. So Agnes, you know, I spent a bulk of the weekend watching Oma Berry and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I really fell in love with the characters. I thought of my younger self quite a bit. Part of me was a little bit emotional and sad because I didn't have this kind of representation when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, I looked at the character Bisola, who is my absolute favorite. I love like, her. I love her. And, and you know, I know that Oma Berry is like, is, is targeted towards children, but do you often find that adults also have have an emotional attachment to it when they watch it where they just can't stop watching yeah absolutely we have i mean i'm i'm one of those adults <laughs> who has quite an attachment to it when i watch it with my kids as well so yeah oma berry is of course targeted towards kids you know between the ages of three and six um but we do find that obviously these kids they're not the ones who are going to youtube trying to find something to watch it's the mums and the dads it's the aunties you know um the guardians of these kids so it's those um it's those people that we try to lock in with the content as well so they are the ones that are introducing it to their kids and like you said you know we've got quite an array of different characters and so you're mm -hmm. bound to see something of yourself in one of them you know and for the adults it is you know it is a case of wow there's a show you know that is good that's representing black kids that um is really high quality you know animation um, but it's focused on, like I said, children of color. It's focused on black kids, on African kids. And that's something that, yeah. you know, adults of our age group at least didn't have when we were growing up. So I do feel like that nostalgia kind of, you know, appeals to the older audience as well. So, yeah, we definitely have a... A older fan base for Oma Berry as well, which is awesome. Before we get into Limitless Studio and Oma Berry, because I think that that's fantastic. It seems as though this is your legacy project. I just want to go a little bit back into who you are as a person and everything. So just to understand, did you grow up in the UK or in Nigeria? And how did you kind of remain connected to the continent when you were based in the UK? What was your, your upbringing like? Yeah, cool. Um, okay, so yeah, I um, I was actually born in the UK. So I'm the youngest of six kids. My mom and dad are 
Nigerian, you know, very much first generation. Um, and then I, as I said, was born in the UK, um, along with most of my siblings as well. Um, grew up in the UK, went to school there, studied there, and was very much still in touch with my Nigerian side, simply because my mom, yeah. my mom and dad, you know, made sure that we were very much aware of our culture. Although I can't speak the language, which is really, really bad. And I wish I was able to speak Yoruba, but I can't. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, still very much in terms of the culture, ate the foods, went to the parties, listened to the music. But at the same time, you know, British, because that's all I knew. Yeah. And so in terms of the British culture, that was very much a part of my life as well. Yeah. I studied in the UK and, you know, worked there. I graduated. Um, I studied media and communications at Brunel University. I then graduated and got my first job at MTV in the UK. So I was producing entertainment content and music content for for MTV. Um, I started off as an intern there and just working across different productions really and then worked my way up to become an assistant producer and then a producer and then went on to work for other companies like Channel 4, the BBC. Incredible. Yeah, producing shows like Big Brother and other like factual entertainment shows. So, you know, was able to really carve out a really good career for myself in the UK. But at the same time, I always kind of had my eye on Africa. I was always looking over to see what was happening here. Um, and I guess, you know, home is where the heart is, right? At the same time. So even, yeah. even though I grew up and lived in the UK all my life, I always knew that Africa, Nigeria specifically, was my home. And so um, we used to come back to Lagos, um, like six weeks holidays, like, you know, go go it's home and visit for a few weeks. Yeah, but um, always ended up back in the UK. So it got to about um, 10 years into my career in the UK that I just thought, Do you know what, there's a lot going on in Africa. There's a lot happening there. Why not mm. just have a look? Why not just head over there and see what's happening? You know, it was at a time when it was just before Afrobeats got really big. It was just before Nollywood got really big, but there was certainly like a vibe. There was certainly something that was bubbling, something that was built, something that was building here. So I kind of just felt like it would be a good time to move and see what kind of happens. So, yeah, it was very much a spur of the moment kind of thing. Um, I packed up my bags. I moved to Lagos. This was back in 2013. So as yeah. I said, I had really been working in the UK for about 10 years now. I was, do was doing really well, but just decided it was time to head over to Africa. And I've always been really keen about African storytelling specifically, mm -hmm. like just who's telling our stories, are our stories being told accurately? You know, preferably they should be told by us, right? To ensure that yeah. they are being told right. So it's been a really good move for me. Um, I moved here, I started working in the media industry here. I worked across advertising, producing TVC ads for um, the likes of MTN and Unilever. I then was approached by GT Bank to become the head of production of Ndani TV, which is which is their flag their flagship platform in terms of online content. And I worked across different corporate brands, as I mentioned, GT Bank, UBA, um, other banks. And then within that time, I um I, I got married and I had kids. So I then yeah. became a mom of two. I've got two young kids. And during that time, I really got to see what was out there in terms of content for kids and just noticing that there wasn't much content, as you mentioned, that represented black children or African kids specifically. And so basically going down that rabbit hole, that was how Limitless Studios came about. And that's how we created our first IP, Oma Berry, in a nutshell. That's a very short version of, um, yeah. Started. And I just love your the, the way that your career has, you know, just your career trajectory, firstly. And then when you mentioned about how in 2013, you just decided it was very spur of the moment, because I don't think you're a spur of the moment person. But there was obviously something in your spirit that was like, look, I need to get back to Africa, you know. Definitely. You know, in, in a few of the interviews that we've had, one of the ladies, Victorine, she was based out in Paris and then she decided she wanted to come back to Senegal. Yeah. And her parents were not very impressed. What did your parents feel like when you were like, OK, I'm moving back to Nigeria? What was the response? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, when you think about African parents who take their children to the West is usually, you know, with the hope or with the dream of them having a better 
a better life, right? So it's like move to the West, um, be educated there. So to set yourself up really, really well. So yeah, you know, for a child to then turn around and say, okay, but I'm going to go back to where you took me away from. It's kind of, the parent, it's quite um, scary, I would say. So for my mum and dad, my mum specifically, she was just like, are you sure? Like, is this really? (laughs) Yeah, like she asked me a few times, like, really, Agnes, but why? What are you going to do? Why, why, why? So I was, you know, just really explaining to her that the whole creative industry out here is booming, it's thriving, there's opportunities, you know, I want to go and, you know, make my mark, et cetera, et cetera. So eventually she understood. And my mom, at the same time, she's very much a Nigerian woman. You know, she's very proud of um, her culture and where she comes from. So even though she has lived in the UK for close to like 40 years now, if not more, actually, she's very much Nigerian. So I also think part of her was really proud as well. So even now, as I've been living here for like close to 10 years, it's something that she kind of boasts to her friends about. Like, you know, my my daughter's back home. She's doing well, this, that. So I feel like even though it started off quite a scary thing for her, you know, thank God things have worked out. There's There's been a few bumps in the road. I won't lie. There's been a few moments where even I've been like hmm. so just to jump in there sorry Agnes yeah. what was like the biggest bump moving you know relocating back to um Nigeria after living in the UK after working professionally in the UK yeah yeah um the biggest oh I mean there's been so many to be honest but I'd say professionally yeah. it's just understanding um how things work here so um how to put it into words I would say that obviously Nigerians, African as a whole, extremely talented, extremely highly skilled people. But when it comes to working, um, there's a certain peculiarity (laughs) to working with um, a team out here and ensuring that the team is efficient, that they're working effectively and that, you know, things are getting done. So I would say that it's just a different mindset. You have to come with a different a different perspective and kind of erase everything you knew to a certain extent in terms of working in the West, working here, um, just due to the culture, just due to the environment, just due to, you know, the economic landscape of how things are here. People's priorities aren't, aren't always so clear. I don't know if that's yeah. really making sense, but you just... No, it makes sense, yeah. Like a hundred percent. I think that that's what, you know, generally when you move back into the continent, because I feel as though whenever you move to a country or relocate back home or whatever the case may be, it's so important to embrace the people and the culture and learn how things go, you know, Um, and then find the best way of merging what you've learned with how things run. Yeah, 100%. And I've learned so much moving here. Like I'd say personally and professionally, like, things just really, um, I've really advanced in terms of what I know. And like I said, knowing how to manage a team and just getting the best um, out of Mm. people. That's something that Nigeria has really taught me because you've got to be really thinking and um, yeah, get things done really. But what what I will say, even, um, you know, with regards to Nigeria, I do find that um, even when you just look at the dynamics, a lot of like really high skilled people are in Nigeria. Sometimes it's just the systems that are not working. But when you're looking at people who are highly skilled and who learn quickly, Nigeria is definitely the breeding ground for that. 100%, 100%. And the, the reason why I mentioned the environment as well is just because even though you are, you know, you are, extremely high skilled and stuff there's certain things that can often be working against you like in terms of power yeah. in terms of no light in terms of transport in terms of having to leave your your home at 4 a.m in order to get to the office by nine because of the traffic and you know so just things like that aren't working for you but nigerians persevere right and they get yeah they get things done um and that that all adds to the peculiarities that i was talking about in the first place in terms of the makeup um, of a Nigerian professional, I would say. Now, um, you mentioned about how you worked at Indani TV. Um, and honestly speaking, first of all, your show, The African Dream, is literally one of my favorite Aww. shows. I've watched it on repeat. I really just thought you did such an awesome job. You were gracious in your interviews. I learned a lot from the individuals that you did profile. Mm-hmm. Um, you interviewed people like the founder of Soul Rebels, Bethlehem yeah. Tilahan Alemu, who, of course, is one of the most celebrated businesswomen in Africa, Africa. if not in the world. Yeah. And then also um, His Royal Highness, 
Prince Mohammed Sansui, the second Emir of Kanu, who yeah. obviously plays such a huge role in Nigerian history. And he's one of, in terms of like a mind, he's like a brilliant mind mm-hmm. as well. And then also um, with Skinny Girl in Transit, obviously yeah. being head of production. That was one of my favorite shows too. Oh, for you, working on projects like African Dream and Skinny Girl in Transit and so forth, how would you say these projects help you shape what is possible in Africa? What ideas did it give you about the possibilities of what can actually happen in the continent? Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's, it's funny that you mention those shows because I kind of feel like since being here, there's so much that I've done that you kind of look back on and you think, oh, yeah, I did that. I did that. But because things yeah. move so fast and the next, you know, Every day there's a new achievement, there's a new thing to do. You kind of just put that to the back of your mind, if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, those were great great experiences for me. Um, I would say that what they taught me really is just, and you kind of said it in your question, in terms of things are possible. It it is possible to achieve things here with the right team. I feel like collaboration and working with people is so, so important here and getting the right minds together. Um, and really with that, anything to a certain extent is possible. Um, from the African Dream interviews that we did, you know, we spoke to people from different walks of life. Mm. The former Emir of Kanu, um, we spoke to a Kenyan business lady called Mary Mukindia as well. And just visiting different parts of Africa and just seeing all these different types of people and what they're doing on their own in order to inspire, in order to give back to Africa was inspiring um, in itself. And yeah, it just goes to show that everybody can do something to make a difference, as in to the bigger picture. Like, of course, you know, you're, you're wanting to better yourself as well. But even within that, you are making an impact to your, your community and then Africa as a large. I love that everybody can has the ability to make a difference 100%. I think that that's so key because sometimes we think about the big spaces, but it's just in our day-to-day yeah. where we can actually make a difference yeah. provided you're following purpose and you're working hard and doing the work. Yeah. Somehow you're impacting your community. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I think like, like you just said, when you look at the bigger picture, sometimes it seems so hard and it's like, wow, like what can I really do? You know, what can I do to make a difference to this whole big space? Like Nigeria, for example, there's so much going on here that, you know, you wake up each day and you're just like, man, like, how can I make this better, right? And if you think yeah. the picture all the time, you're probably not going to be able to get that much done because it is hard. But if you think daily in my own life, I can do this, I can do that. And like I said, it just it just spurs small, um, or it may even seem like insignificant changes but they changes nonetheless and they make a difference definitely now agnes you mentioned about how you got married in the time that you relocated to nigeria yeah. you have two beautiful children oh, literally your your family is so picturesque oh, it's just so gorgeous thank you so much so you've got two beautiful children and in this time i think this is around about the time that you actually that limitless studio was born is that correct to say because you're the gm and co-founder yeah. how did this come about and now taking a risk because you've worked with all these companies, mm-hmm. everything was solid. And now you're basically, you're starting something new. So yeah. just, I really want to know the backstory about all of this. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I kind of mentioned before um, in terms of getting married and then having kids, I have a three-year-old son and I have one-year-old daughter. And so, as I mentioned at the time, um, because of the kids, like we're always watching kids content at home there's always some kind of show on some kind of cartoon um whether it's cocomelon or peppa pig or you know paw patrol all of these shows and you just sit there watching it and you're like okay this is nice this is cool but can my kids see themselves in what they're watching um can they even hear themselves like are there any shows with with african voices with african names with you know just kind of some representation for them and there really wasn't any at all. And so during that time, as I said, I was just thinking, okay, well, what can be done about this? Like, you know, what can we do? And again, going back to, if you're looking at the big picture, you're kind of thinking, what can I really do about this? But again, if you start small um, and think about what you can do individually, you are able to make a difference. So to cut a long story short, the opportunity of Limitless Studios came about. Um, so there's three founders myself we have our head our head of production who's based in Nigeria as well so he heads up all the production in terms of the animation team and then we have our CEO who's actually based in the states and so those two actually joined forces first and then brought me on at a later point the company launched in 2020 again just around the time when I had my son 
Um, and it just kind of fits. And I always say like Limitless Studios for me was like an answer to a prayer, like not to get too spiritual, but I really, you know, I'm a firm believer in God and faith and Christ. And I just feel like it came, the opportunity came at the right time in terms of me thinking about the lack of this content that exists to the opportunity to be a part of something that was just starting out and then to add my own experiences to it. So in terms of the founding team, at that point, none of us, none of them, I should say, had kids, right? So I came in at a point where I was able to give my experiences because I was the audience we were trying to reach in terms of a mother who has black kids who doesn't see content that's out there. And so, yeah, it was really just a case of the opportunity coming at the right time because I was able to give firsthand experiences to it. When I was watching it, right, yeah. the first thing that kind of, that, you know, I obviously started with the ABC and I was literally like, this is amazing. <laughs> A's for Africa, B's for Babe, yeah, C yeah. for Calabash, D for Dunfor, yeah. F for Fufu, yeah. G for Gele, you even had M for Maasai, yeah. K for Kente. You know, I just, what, what crossed my mind was kind of like growing up, you never really equated educational entertainment, so to speak. Those aren't the words that you would learn. So was this, was this kind of intentional? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Um, so all of our episodes have uh, educational like background to it. We base all our themes and all our stories from the U.S. curriculum. So everything is educationally backed. So whereas we want to entertain these kids, we also want to teach them as well and make sure that that teaching is coming from a solid place. So we have a head of learning who does all our scripts, who, you know, goes through, she kind of calls it like her digital lesson plan. So we are really intentional about teaching um, our viewers, you know, like you said, ABCs, literacy, counting, all of that is part of Omaberry as well. And the reason why it's important to do that is because Africa itself is a huge market, right? Mm. And obviously Africans mm. living outside of Africa in terms of the diaspora and just Africans everywhere is a huge market as well. So when we were at the point of birth in Omaberry, Specifically, it was like, okay, you have Cocomelon, which is like a huge brand but within Africa. They're, you know, I think Africa makes up about 2% of their views. And this is Cocomelon who has like billions of views on YouTube. Like it's huge, but they're not targeting the African market. And, you know, why is that? I don't know if it's, if it's because they're not aware of the numbers, but I'm sure they are because Africa's huge, right? So it's just a lack of interest in the African market. And so that's really where Omaberry comes in. And when you're thinking about the demographics, you know, like African population, the last count was all 1.3 billion, I think, right? There are numbers here. And so it makes sense for there to be content that is specific to that market and to the diaspora as well. And so that's where Omaberry um, comes in. We, we want to teach our kids about our culture. We want them to hear their voices, you know, to hear their names, to see their faces, mm. and as much as possible just to represent the culture in a positive light and in a normal light. So it, it's not like, oh, it's an odd, it's an odd thing to see a black kid on telly or you, yes. you only see the one black kid, mm. but the whole cast is black, right? And they're all in Africa. Mm. And um, yeah, we think, we, we think it's great. And we think that there's, there's definitely space for more of that to come as well. I'm, I'm amazed at the fact that, you know, there's that much detail that goes in in terms of the curriculum and the learning, which is fantastic, you know. Yeah. I mean, really making sure that that comes across. But also just like the mix of our culture with the education system. Yeah. It's also incredible. So, I mean, I'm going to pick from some of the storylines that I love. The one about the little boy and when they were talking about mixing colors. Yeah. And then somebody said, oh, he said, oh, I love brown. And then somebody said, one of the kids said, Mensa said to him, well, how can you love brown? Yeah. And then the teacher, Mr. Ben, I said, I love brown. And the way they described it, they said brown is a mix of all of these different colors put together. Yeah. And, and Mother Earth yeah. loved brown so much. That's why the sand is brown, the soil mm -hmm. is brown, the trees mm -hmm. are brown and chocolate. And then literally the little boy's face lights up and he says, that means that my skin is like a rainbow. And yeah. I thought... Yeah. This is such great perspective because then like, you know, dark skinned children and, you know, children with melanin and everything, if they can think about the beauty of their skin from that perspective, that's just so powerful. Like that literally stuck him. I was emotional when I watched that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And the reason why you're emotional is because when you were growing up, there was nothing like that on our screens, mm -hmm. right? There was nothing that spoke yeah. to us about how beautiful we are, about how wonderful black and brown skin is. And it goes so far in a kid's life, like at the impressionable age that they are, they need to hear that and they need to believe it. They need to be told that 
your skin is beautiful. And that's the norm. As in, you should be used to hearing that because it's normal and it's true. So yeah, that's definitely something that we are consciously doing, that we are intentionally doing. We really want to represent kids. And again, even though we are obviously putting a huge emphasis on black kids, you know, this is something that children from around the world can enjoy. You know, we say that we are definitely representing um, you know, groups that are often marginalized in the media, groups that aren't represented much in the media. However, that's something that all kids or all groups can benefit from because we want to represent everyone. Do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. Agreed. And even like the story with Bisola, my, my, my little, my little my self. Just, just another example with that. I mean, when you when she was talking about her bantu knots, I just thought that yeah. it was such an interesting play. First of all, you're talking about bantu knots, um, you know, which originate from South Africa and all of that, and there was a good mention of that. But then, secondly, the whole thing of "don't touch my hair." Yeah. Obviously, as black women, that's something that we deal with. I just thought yeah. that the way that that was brought into it was in such a light, like normal way, and in the meanwhile, also just telling people about personal space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite scripts as well because, like you said, it addresses different areas in terms of personal space in terms of black women's hair and how it's often so like seen as like kind of fetish has been but it's normal and it's us and it needs to be it needs to be recognized as that um so yeah these are all topics again that we intentionally want kids to be aware of and to um, make them aware of it at such a young age and like i said it's stuff that white children you know asian children other children of other races can benefit from as well because it's all about learning about our world right and learning about socially you know what's acceptable between children between adults and just in general so yeah it's it's yeah it's really great content if i do say so myself yeah the content is really fantastic for international women's day you had an amazing script that um, you guys had developed you want to talk us through it and how important it was for you especially from an African perspective mm. to address this issue of gender with young, with young girls, like when they're impressionable and also with young boys so that they also understand, you know, gender dynamics from a more positive light. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Yeah. So when um, International Women's Day was, we knew it was coming up, we, we made a point of saying we need to create something specific to this that our kids can enjoy and that can also learn from as well. So for that particular um, episode, and I, I have to give all props to our school writer who's also our head of learning who I mentioned um, a lady called Oli Inka and she crafted an amazing script that really just talks through um, to the boys are playing football they're in a the field playing football and one of the boys kicks the ball a certain way and then the other boy says I think he says Kezier why are you kicking the ball like a girl you know and then the, the, the girls heard and they got really upset, like, oh, why would, why would Kunle say that? That's not a nice thing to say. So they go back to their teacher, Miss Abena, and she's like, well, you know, this would be a great opportunity to let them know that, you know, they upset you and why it upset you. Um, so basically it just, you know, brings out the whole themes of the fact that girls can do just as well as boys, if not better. And, you know, there aren't certain sports or certain things that a girl should do that, that, that a boy can't do and vice versa. Um, so yeah, we just felt like it was really important to address that, you know, in terms of expectations um, of gender, you know, and letting kids know that it's okay if you want to play football and you're a girl, or it's okay if you want to do ballet and you're a boy, like it's actually okay, right? And I feel like with this generation specifically, they're hearing that more. And so they're learning that more and certain things are becoming more acceptable. And also just in terms of having questions and, you know, like about yourself or about, you know, your interests and just knowing that it's okay, like how the girls went to approach their teacher and ask her questions and, you know, let her know how they're feeling, just to say that it's okay to air your views and it's okay to ask questions if you're in doubt. So yeah, that was a really, that was a really special episode for us and it got received really well by our viewers as well, which was great. Yeah, it was really such a, it was such a special episode. I I totally agree. What you guys had done with regards to money and teaching people about saving, but then the mix of having African currencies in the middle of international currencies, you know, you you never really think about how these little tweaks make such a difference because <laughs> yeah. you never think of it you know you know when you're watching the news in general you don't actually see african currencies yeah. like showing up yeah. media is so powerful mm. the images that we see are so powerful because i didn't even realize that i'm just like wow you never actually 
think of the fact that our kids learning about the South African rand or the Nigerian naira as they're learning about the US dollar, you know, the the Indian rupee. I just thought that, you know, the Ghanaian CD. So I thought that all of those little tweaks, it just shows you the power of media. Yeah, 100%. And again, that's, you know, that's something that we are very mindful of um, and that we want to represent and put out there. And it's such a small thing, like you say, but it makes, it really does make a big difference. As we've discussed, you've had like a, like an amazing career in production. I want to say normal production, but I don't know what the word is, but basically like a career, you know, where you're working with real life people that breathe. Okay. (laughs) In terms of production. So just to understand animation in Africa, I mean, when you, when it comes to how long it takes to actually create, first of all, like each of the scripts, like what is the process from the beginning to the end? What is the harder part? Because there's so many things. There's the song, there's the script, there's the actual characters. Talk to us about the process of creating animation. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So it's quite a process. Um, We have an amazing head of production, a guy called Benga, who is an, an extremely highly skilled 3D animator. He basically heads up our production team in Nigeria. And so they consist of animators, of modelers, of concept artists, of storyboard artists. So they basically, they sketch out the characters first. So in terms of the development of the characters, if we're introducing a new character to the show, the character will be sketched out first. And then the the concept artist will create like an actual um, visual design of this character. Um, and then that character will need to be modeled. And then once they're modeled into like a 3D object, they would then need to be rigged. And then the rigging is, is, is how they move is, you know, when they smile or kick their leg, move their arms, etc. And then after that process, they go into the actual animation of, you know, the visuals. I'm giving you like a layman's example of it because I don't fully get the whole process myself, but it's amazing. And the, the guys work really, really hard in terms of the timeline. Um, so in terms of development, that's where we, you know, write the, so, so that's where we decide what themes we're going to address. That's where we write the script. So that process tends to take anything between two weeks to a month, depending on how many scripts we're doing in, in that batch. And then that will go to the store, storyboard phase where, you know, all of the details for the scripts will be put in a storyboard. And then, like I said, onto the animation process as well. So all in all, to produce, I guess you'd say, one season of Oma Berry, which is usually five episodes, that tends to take about two months from start to finish. Um, wow. Yes, yeah, so it's quite a process. And to be fair, that's actually quite a very fast timeline. Most animation mm. studios take much longer um, to create content. But we are, um, you know, all, all of our... All of our episodes, all of our content is up on YouTube. And so we have like a weekly upload rotation where we release one new episode a week and one compilation um, video a week. So we're on quite a, I guess you could say a tight schedule. We've worked out this process and this schedule that works for us. um, And we're keen to get our videos out there. So we ensure that that process is kept quite tight. So yeah, so that's the process from start to finish on the production side. That's quite intense. Yeah, it is. It is. It leads me into my next question um, because you were mentioning about how being um, the head of production really does an incredible job. When it comes to skills, was it easy to find the right kind of skill level from an educational perspective to be able to create animation in Nigeria? It's just because animation in Africa is something that is starting to really pop up now, but it wasn't, you know, there's, there's an assumption that there's no history, you know, so where were you finding the the people in terms of educational, uh, you know, being able to do it and people who are trained in it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, most of our animators are based in Nigeria, but we actually do have um, others who are based across Africa, um, South Africa, Ghana, Uganda as well, actually. So just to say, it's not just, yay, yay, (laughs) representing your people. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so in terms of the skill set, most of these guys are like self-trained, you know, they train themselves. So it's not a case of they've gone to school to do it and they are amazing. <laughs> so imagine how good they would be okay. if they actually had, you know, access to actual, you know, like official training, actually going to school to do it. So most of them are self-trained um, and then they themselves go on like online courses and stuff. You know, you can kind of learn anything nowadays with, with an online course. So, um but yeah, in terms of finding the guys, there's no, I would say there's, there's, there's no lack of skill in Africa. Um, animation, like you said, is really popping up now. There are many um, animation studios within Africa who are producing awesome, awesome work um, and work that's on par with um, international 
studios, I would say. And so, yeah, in terms of finding the skills and finding the people to be on our team, I wouldn't say that's difficult. It's just the difficult part is being able to maintain to maintain them. I think, again, because we're, you're working in Africa and there are certain um, there are certain factors, outside factors that affect creatives such as, you know, living and wanting to earn a living and, you know, needing to support family, etc. So the turnover rate can be quite high in terms of, you know, they jump into the next opportunity, next opportunity, which is fine because, of course, everybody has to live and everybody has to do well. So we pride ourselves in treating our animators really well, paying them competitive rates so they do stay for longer. But yeah, in terms of the skill set, like I said, we have highly talented 3D animators and creatives in general that are coming out of Africa. Well, I really love this. And imagine, like you said, if because when I watch Omoberry, honestly speaking, I like the animation is is incredible. Like the the animation is definitely on par internationally. Yeah. It's one of it's among some of the best that I've seen. Yeah, so when I watch it, I'm like, and you're saying that these people have, are self-taught. Yeah. It really shows you the resilience and just the determination of young Africans. Like young Africans are really trying to make things happen. You know, um, that's what I love about this continent. There's people are really hungry to get things going. Um, so I think that that's just incredible. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with Mr. Easy, and he mentioned about how we're in the African decade from the perspective that our biggest export in Africa is actually our culture. And I think that Omoberry so represents this because you're targeting um, minority groups and black children and all of that stuff. But when I look at every detail from the Kente to the, the Bantu knots mm. to the currencies to everything, it's really as though you're trying to show Africa from another perspective, that there is a lot of learning. There are a lot of things that can be shared yeah. with the rest of the world from Africa. Leaning off of what Mr. Easy has said, how would you say that that's compared to the world of animation when he was saying about how our biggest export is culture would you say it's the same thing in terms of the works that you do yeah it is it's um it's the same thing with what limitless studios are doing specifically and again what the other animation studios within africa are doing i would say that you know and i keep saying <laughs> you know the quality of work coming out of africa is definitely on par with the international studios as well and i feel like internationally in terms of the animation industry people are starting to take notice. They're starting to see, oh, okay, wow, there is some really good content coming out of Africa. And, you know, visually, I keep going on in terms of visually, it looks amazing, but also the storytelling side of things, the mm. audio production side of things, like the 360, the entire package in terms of animations that are coming out of Africa, the level is amazing, you know? And I feel like one of the, one of the reasons why the animation industry in Africa specifically perhaps hasn't kind of expanded sooner is because the lack of investment in animation, in African animation. But I feel like that is all changing now because internationally they're starting to see, they're starting to see the talent, they're starting to see the growth, they're starting to see, you know, how big it can be. Um, but previously, yeah, lack of, lack of investment um, has been a problem. But we are seeing that change now. Definitely. And I think that with investment, it would it would really do what is so amazing. Because when I think of what you guys are doing at Limitless Studio, it's basically your entrepreneurs, but you're also yeah. in the creative sector, in the educational sector. It's so many things. Yeah. I did a, a bit of research on the, the, the market size of the global anim, uh, animation. And mm. you're looking at about, by apparently by 2030, it's going to be 642.5 billion. That's going to be mm. the value of animation. And so I think that with where you guys are positioned now, it'll be just really so fantastic to see animations, what people are doing animation, like what you're doing at Limitless Studio and just across the continent, really yeah. getting a good share of that, especially when we have 1.3 billion people. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I mean, like before you looked into that, you probably didn't realize how much, like how much big business animation is, but it really exactly. is. And um, yeah, more people are becoming aware of that. It's definitely a space that is um, evolving. It's definitely a space that's starting to own its own, especially within Africa. And that's great to see. When it comes to revenue, is the music side like a revenue stream within animation as well? Yeah, definitely. I'd say, you know, with all the streaming platforms that are around um, nowadays, I'd say that the music part of it is definitely something that creators are taking note of as well. Especially we do with Limitless as well. We don't just want our visual to be great. We want the audio to be really banging as well. So that's something that we're really putting, um, you know, extra attention to. Um, I don't know whether you've heard of kids animation called Grace's Corner. 
It's an it's a two it's a two D animated show, but they've really gone viral based on their music. Um, so it's kind of like I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like a hip hoppy kind of vibe. But going back to your initial question, so like the parents really love it. So even before the kids see it, like the parents yeah. keep playing it and keep jamming to it because the music sounds good. And so that's definitely another area, as I said, for producers and for creators to look at because. It definitely generates revenue as well. When it comes to timing, I feel that with creativity and maybe with everything, a lot of it has to do with timing. Mm. Do you feel that the timing and where the world is right now in terms of there being a hunger and an interest in African culture, in terms of what's happening with our musicians, with our arts and everything globally, in terms of people wanting to see more and to learn more about African cultures, do you think that the timing has played a huge role in the success of Omaberry? 100%. So I think timing has played a role in, in the creation of Omaberry to start with. As you said, the world definitely needs to see more representation, you know, for Black people, for Africa as well. And so Omaberry, like I said, came about because we realized that nothing existed for children of color and especially African children. So that's why Omaberry came about. And I feel like the reason for the success of Omaberry is simply because it's like, yeah, we need more of this. You know, I want my children to know more about their culture, even if they're not living within Africa, even if they live in Iceland, right? I want them to know about their culture. I want them to know where home is and what home sounds like. And you can do that through Omaberry. Two of our videos have, have actually crossed the one mil um, views mark so you mentioned oh 100k yeah but we actually have two videos one video is on like 1.5 mil and another videos um is on one mil so yeah totally we've reached about 8 million views on youtube now we only launched last year but so all of this is really a sign of the hunger like you said for african content but also good african content that can stand on par with with the cocomelons of the world and literally be on the same level if not higher so um yeah yeah, I definitely feel like the time is now. Um, and that is why that's that's the reason for Omaberry's success. And yeah, that's the reason why we'll keep keep going. With regards to the analytics, because now if you have in total around 8 million people, over 8 million people who viewed Omaberry content, do the analytics show you where this is coming from? Would you say it's mainly from Africa? Is it from and which parts of the world have there been any surprises where you've been like, yeah. oh, wow, people in Japan are watching this? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the interesting things about Omo Berry's success. So a large part of our viewership, the ma- about 50 percent of our viewership actually comes from the come from the US. So it's the diaspora that is really watching a lot of our content. You'd think it would be Africa. But um, yes, yeah, so most of our views come from the US and then secondly from the UK. So again, the diaspora as well. And then from Nigeria and other parts of Africa, um, which is why I keep saying like in terms of our audience, in terms of our market, we're definitely focused on Africa, but then also Africans outside of Africa as well. And also the diaspora who, you know, have kids who have probably never been to Africa or, or, or the parents themselves have never been, but they want to know more, you know? So um, yeah, that's definitely part of our target audience as well. I should have perhaps asked this at the beginning, why the name Omaberry? I mean, in my head, I'm Nigerian. You know my head. Yeah, I'm I know. Nigerian. You're a Niger but... girl. <laughs> a Niger You're girl. A Niger girl. Why Omaberry yeah. as the title? So we, um, obviously, when we, when we created Omaberry, when we launched, we were looking for a name that was African, that sounded African, but can mm-hmm. appeal to a global audience. Because, of course, we saw the show going global as well, which it has. So it had to be easy to pronounce, but still represent Africa. So yeah, I mean, the team got together, we all brainstormed and we came up with a few options <laughs> and Omoberry was one that we all love the sound of. So basically Omo, although I'm saying it in the Oyibo way, Omo is how you pronounce it. I know I'm really, ter- I'm really ter- ter- terrible as well, but I try to do the action. Um, Omo means child in yeah. Yoruba. So Omo is a child. And then berry, we got that from, um, so you've heard of the phrase, the darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. So we kind of just put, so we're thinking about dark-skinned kids and black kids, so berry, darker the berry, sweeter the juice, sweet oh. the juice, and then we kind of just put those together and for Omo berry. It sounds cool. Omo berry. And then the more we kind of said it, 
Oh, yeah, Old Mulberry. So that's oh. how it came. That's how it came to be. And is one of the characters based off your son, Kit? Oh, why'd you say that? Why Why'd you ask that? I don't know. I just kind of got the impression. You know, sometimes as people are creating, it just kind yeah. of seems like there's always oh, references, you know? Is, yeah, he actually wasn't. So I think you're talking about um, a, char- a character called Kunle who has like gold blonde hair at the top yeah so he wasn't actually based off kit but we actually realized that he kind of looks kit kind of looks like him or he looks like (laughs) but we actually we've introduced a new character who will be introduced in the next season who's actually called kit (laughs) based on kit oh he's coming up soon he's um baby kit um but yeah kit loves omo berry he always watches it like he knows the names He, he, he really does love it and that makes me feel so much joy like watching him watch it I'm watching my daughter watch it as well because like I said you know it just it, it means so much especially at this age it's wonderful for me and now with regards to Oma Berry moving forward are you guys going to be looking into merchandising and yeah. what are the plans to expand the Oma Berry brand yeah so we are you know we fought through the whole universe of Oma Berry a whole like um, limitless universe as we like to call it so merchandise definitely um we are looking to roll out we've already started plans um with merch um we're also looking at music distribution as well so as we had mentioned you know music plays a huge part we've been approached by a few um music platforms streaming platforms who want to license the music specifically so that's another area um, and then also we're looking into Web3. So we're looking into NFTs. We're looking into, you know, what to do with our characters. We already obviously have this built-in audience um, and this, this IP that's already built and developed. So we're looking at ways in which we can extend that. And so, yeah, NFTs sound like, you know, a good way to go, especially as everything's kind of going into Web3 and blockchain. So we want to have that component to our brand as well and just really create more of a community around Oma Berry and then be able to give that community value in terms of whether it's them owning, you know, part of the show or owning certain parts of the characters, just looking into how to expand, expand that whole area. So that's really exciting. We've got, got some really exciting things coming up. I love that. And two final questions. The one is that, you know, I had a thought the one day as I was going through my day and stuff and I'd had like a series of meetings and all of this, but you know, my meetings are like those fun meetings. <laughs> and as I was going from place to place, like there was a lot of African music, you know? Yeah. And I thought to myself, wow, like people are actually growing up, not just in Africa, but around the world yeah. where they, where their childhood, their childhood music or music from a particular era is going to be made up of African yeah, artists like yeah. a burner, like a listen. You know, I actually, I like, it just dropped in my spirit and I felt so emotional. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, you know, things can actually change. Yeah. And now, you know, re- relating that to Omo Berry, I'm, you know, I'm also like partly emotional because children are going to grow up where Omo Berry forms part of their childhood. Yeah. Which is something that we never thought yeah. was possible. Yeah. For, for you, um, you know, and also being a mom, you know, do you have any cl- closing thoughts around that um, and how it makes you when you think about that? Because this is obviously like as a mom, I'm sure it's like it's like a gift of love to your children and, and it's a gift of love to so many other children um, as well. Are there any closing thoughts and what do you think about about that? And going back to timing, you know, what we had spoke about before and just God's timing, really. So in terms of Limitless and Overburied, time when it came, like, I feel like if this opportunity had come before I had kids, it probably just would have been like, hmm, okay, I'm just, you know, making content and yeah that's great but it has such a personal impact on me because I have kids and because you know I see the importance of what it means in their lives to be able to see themselves on the screen and I liken it whenever I think to how Oma Berry will you know impact you know this young generation I liken it to how Black Panther remember when Black Panther was first yes. the buzz that it had within the black community globally around the world we were just so excited like even yeah. adults grown adults will go to the cinema like dressing a Black Panther yeah. outfit especially the kids as well but even adults and that kind of vibe and that excitement which was awesome and which was great you know and lasted for a while and then it kind of stopped but for me, Oma Berry should do that constantly, as in that should be the excitement and that should be the impact that it makes on these on these kids' lives. 
they can look on a screen and say, look, that's me. That kid looks like me. And it's something that they're seeing every single day. It's not a one-off. It's not a special show. It's not like, oh, we watched this today and then tomorrow we're going to go back to our normal shows that shows white kids. This is every day. It's part of their lives. And I just feel like that, again, it just makes such an impact. There's there's a video that I posted on um, Instagram recently, and it's it's an old video about a girl, I think a hairdresser was doing a girl's hair, and then she had she was video recording her for some reason. And then the girl said, oh, I'm so ugly. And like every time I watched that video, like a black girl, dark skinned girl, mm. she was like, I'm so ugly. And then, and then the lady mm. was like, don't say that, you're beautiful, blah, blah. And the girl was crying. And I was just thinking, what has this girl heard in her life, in her short life? that makes her look mm-hmm. in the mirror and think, I'm ugly. Like, how deep is that? That really cut mm-hmm. me. I mean, that is probably deeper issues, right? But it all stems from representation, from lack of representation, from self-esteem, from kids not seeing themselves, mm-hmm. from kids seeing white, blonde hair, Barbie dolls and thinking that's the perception of beauty. Like, it goes so deep. So even if like a girl like that can look on the screen and see a Bissola, dark-skinned, beautiful girl and see her celebrated, and, you know, that in, that in itself mm. informs her perception of herself and what people who look like that are. For me as a parent, yeah, I want my son to grow up knowing that he is the most beautiful thing. I want my daughter to grow up knowing that her skin is amazing just the way it is and she doesn't have to change the colour of her skin, mm-hmm. especially, you know, Africa, the amount of like skin bleaching that's going on and like that's a whole different (laughs) that's a whole different podcast that we can have on skin bleaching but things like that just break my heart you know and I just want for um like as well as the education side of things and all of the other um areas that Oma Berry does really really well I want the representation to just be in such a way that kids look at it and be like yeah that's cool I'm cool like cool. Definitely. Agnes um, Shoyode Johnson, mm-hmm. thank you so much. You know, when I think about your life, full disclosure, so people know, yes, uh-huh. I do know Agnes. Very, Bang. very well. I know the girl. I really just have to say that, you know, sometimes you see people doing great things and you wonder what the person who's doing it is like if they have integrity. I wanted to talk to you because number one, I believe like what Omar Berry's doing, I, I, like it's just incredible. Number two, career wise, it's just incredible. But also just watching your journey your faith, your integrity, and just you as a person, it's really awesome to have somebody who's like a genuinely good person, you know, behind good projects like this. So your life is just a reflection of just like God's blessings and just purpose. Um, and I'm just so excited to see what else comes out of it. Every time you do anything, it's just like the heart is in the right place. And, and I feel that maybe that's what we need a lot more. We need people whose hearts are in the right place. And when you fuse that in with creativity and talent and ideas and, you know, it really can just change so many things for us as Africans. So thank you so much for joining me on the Africa Whisperer. 100%. I am so, so thankful to you for giving me this platform to be able to talk about myself and Limitless and Omar Berry. And I really, really appreciate it. And just on the last note, just to say, like, I have to... Just give all glory to God because it's him. It's not even me. It's literally him. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Africa Whisperer. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with my esteemed guests. Please, if you want to find out anything more about the podcast, go to theafricawhisperer.com where you can find out about the team that helps put this production together, my amazing guests that we have each and every week, as well as send any feedback that you might have by email emailing hello at the Africa Also remember to follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter as Lee Kasumba. Catch you next time. Thanks.